When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. McDavid centers. One-timer score. Oscar Clefbaum in Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time, it's Clefbaum. He'll swing it out to the outside, and it is to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. Darrell Walker. Touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. It's Friday night. It's the last weekend in July. It's 27 degrees Celsius. Absolutely beautiful. The way I see it, you have a choice how to spend your Friday evening. Maybe you sit out in the yard, have a barbecue, maybe throw the ball around, do something outdoors. Or you fire up Netflix, Mike Tyson Mysteries Marathon. The episodes are only 10 or 11 minutes long. You could finish every episode by midnight tonight. You You got Mike... Uh, you got Pigeon, perhaps the most lovable character in television history, and you're set. But no matter what you choose, I hope first you spend a couple hours with Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. It is indeed a lovely day outside. It's 6.08. My name is Reed Wilkins. We are the voice of your Edmonton Eskimos and your Edmonton Oilers. Now the next Eskimos game, after their victory last night, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium on Thursday, August 2nd. We'll have it for you. 6 o'clock countdown to kick off. The game will begin at 8. You can get in touch by texting 630-630. The phone number 780-496-0063. And the Eskimos, one-third of the way through the season. They are 4-2. and two, And the star quarterback, the star receivers coming through last night in Montreal. There's the throw to the end zone up into the air. And Duke Williams has it for a touchdown. Eskimos What a catch by Williams as he was heading to the sidelines and gets away from his man and just reaches up and grabs it and hauls it down. Looks to his left side, then throws over the top, and it's intercepted. Aaron Grimes has it across the 40, the 35 to the 30. Grimes taken out of bounds at around the 25-yard line. Raleigh takes the ball, throws, and it's over the top. What a catch. Oh, my. Look at that. C.J. Gable is just fine, thank you. He'll throw, and that's to Duke Williams along the sidelines. He's gone, Duke Williams. Five, four, three, two, one, touchdown, Eskimos. Darrell Walker wide to the left side. Motion starts, Riley accepts the football, takes a two-step drop, and he throws, and touchdown, 
Eskimos. Darrell Walker into the end zone, hauls that one in on a beautiful pass play from Mike Riley. They came to Molson Stadium tonight talking about Johnny Manziel. They leave talking about Mike Riley. 415 yards in passing, four touchdown passes. He ran one in himself, helping the Eskimos to a 44-23 win. Wasn't always pretty. I think some stumbles along the way for the Eskimos, some areas of concern, but they do get it done, outscoring the Alouettes 24-6 in the second quarter alone in that final 44-23. To break it down, our Eskimos analyst, he used to play for the team. It's our good buddy Blake Dermott. Blake, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hi, it's going good, Reed. Thanks a lot for having me. Great to have you on the show. Your first appearance, uh, We I, I know you still went on our broadcast with David Morley, but uh, we, you had a couple weeks off from Inside Sports while you were in uh, while you were in Hawaii how was the vacation it was it was the first time being in Maui and uh, I think they're still talking about us <laughs> <laughs> that's great you, you made a, the Durbin family made a huge impact that's good to hear <laughs> yeah. yeah they may not let us back in the island for a while but oh my goodness still talking about it <laughs> Well, Blake, good to have you back on the show. And uh, the Eskimos threw a third of the season with a 4-2 and two record, which uh, I guess you can't argue with. And playing a, uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll just throw this out for you first break. I mean, the Eskimos just have a, simply a much better roster than the Montreal Alouettes, and ultimately that showed last night. Oh, yeah. They, you know, what, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about how, uh, how they played and some of the things that they did and and uh had they played against a better competition they they might have been uh in in trouble but uh yeah when you go out and and make the kind of mistakes that they made and still come away with a 44-23 victory uh that's telling you a little bit something about the personnel that you have well, let's let's start with some of the mistakes the Eskimos made because there's there's a lot of good too. Obviously, when you when you score that many points and still win by that much, but but the penalties have been an issue for the team. They wind up with 17 for 191 yards, so almost two fields worth of of, of yardage that you you surrender to the Alouettes in one form or another. And Blake, we, we've talked about this before. I, I know the Eskimos a couple weeks ago said, well, we're going to start following every little rule, whether it's no hats in the classroom or wearing your uh, you know your sandals near the hot tub or whatever all those little rules you're going to follow whether you like them or not uh, you know better a couple weeks ago against Toronto but but these ones just racked up and and I you know I'm curious to get your perspective on this penalties will happen sometimes an lineman is going to be called for a hold sometimes somebody's going to jump offside I, I know there's a good chunk of yardage in there that was a couple of PI penalties but that is a lot of flags and a lot of yardage so I mean what's going on in what can they do about it? Well, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this all day, and um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, like and, and the breakdown of disciplined plays or non-disciplined plays, or something that uh, you know uh, plays that can be controlled and are uh, penalties, sorry, penalties that can uh, a player can control are is, is what they really have to look at. And when you get to as, men, as many penalties as they took that were in that. Yeah, you know, under the control of an individual player, that becomes a concern because that, you know, uh, as you mentioned, football plays will happen, and sometimes you're going to get a penalty, and sometimes the referee's going to make a bad call, and those kinds of things. But, but when you get the IRs, and when you get the roughing the passers, and when you get those kinds of penalties that uh, that can be controlled, and, and even to some extent, the, the offsides. You know, I mean, you, all you got to do is watch a ball if you're a defensive lineman, and know the count if you're an offensive lineman or a receiver or something. But you look at, you know, historically, the teams that are 
the best teams, the teams that have the most success, are teams that have control over those things. Whether it's, you know, whether it comes down to, you know, a respect for your play, your your fellow uh, players, you know, the, your your teammates. Because if you, you you get to a point where you're so concerned about letting them down or disappointing them. You know, then that's when you have successful teams. When those are the guys that will do anything for each other, and it kills them when they make a mistake. You know, they addressed this thing a couple of weeks ago, and it's this is you know the worst I've seen the Eskimos in possibly the last five years. So, how much of that is sunk in, and how much of that are the guys listening to, or how much of it are they even caring about? And so that, to me, that I'm concerned about them going forward. You know, is it? Uh, you know, they addressed it, and nothing happened. It got worse. And if they want to be a good team, and Every good team, you, know, you see this at every championship game, every great cup, Stanley Cup, anything. the guys at the end of the season, they get interviewed and go, oh, man, we went through so much adversity and we, we had so much to deal with and this team was just so good and tight and all that. You know, and, and, and this is the point in the season where they've got to, you know, they're, they've played six games. They're a third of the way through the season. And this has got to be addressed and changed or... You know, the Eskimos are going to be at the end of the season going, well, you know, I guess maybe we just we, we just never were able to make those changes and make those adjustments to our own game, and we're, our season's over. And I, I, I think this is a good enough team that that shouldn't happen to them. But, boy, they've got to look internally, and each one, each person's got to look in the mirror and say, why, why am I letting this happen all the time? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think you make a good point. We're like we're at the point in the season where it's not a blip. I mean, it's a habit, unfortunately, taking all those penalties. So hopefully they can work that out of their game because, uh, you know, some much uh, much better opponents over the next six weeks or so. The, the, that was the negative of the game. I mean, the overwhelming positive, Blake, was Riley and the receivers. Just I mean, Montreal didn't have an answer. Uh, Riley throws for over 400. Duke gets over 100 yards, a couple more touchdowns. Stafford over 100 yards. Walker, 77 yards and, and a touchdown. Touchdown, uh, you know, where he broke away from the DB who, who fell on the play. And then, Blake, I mean, I'm curious to see what you're seeing out there because it, it looks to me, uh, I mean, Riley's obviously, you know, a, a great quarterback, but it, he's really trusting these guys. And every once in a while, he'll throw to a guy and you think, well, he was covered. I wonder why he did that. Well, he's doing it because, in my mind, Duke Williams can go up and tear the ball away from a guy, right? Or Kenny Stafford can, can help Riley keep a play alive and get open. There just, there just seems to be a lot of trust right now. Yeah, and they they really seem to be on the same page with his receivers. So, you know, they know where to go when he's in trouble. They're reading the same thing. And and you know, and like you mentioned, guys are making plays for you. You know, uh, that that catch that C.J. Gable made last night. I I was just you know he makes this uh, this unbelievable catch and then and eventually gets up and gets into the end zone. So so yeah, he's got a lot of trust in his guys, and and his guys have a lot of trust in him. Uh, you know, as far as Riley, you know, knowing where they got to go to get the ball and and uh, and I. And, and when you see guys making those kinds of efforts, you, you know that they don't want to let it, they don't want to let the guy down. They don't want to let Riley down or the team down. But for some reason, that hasn't transferred over into the onto the penalty side of it, the discipline side of the game. Now, the other thing to keep in mind too is, you know, that was a negative. That we talked about the penalties and the discipline, but but let's be honest. You know, Winnipeg or sorry, Montreal, three missed field goals by a guy who hasn't missed a field goal all year. And a guy, a touchdown dropped virtually, you know, walking into the end zone. So there was 16 points. You add that total up. This game isn't a blowout like it was. Uh, you know, it wasn't like Montreal rolled over and let Edmonton, you know, sure, Edmonton had 500 yards offense, but Edmonton could have scored 60. If you think about when you got 100 yards, uh, you know, the average drive, the length of the field that they go to get into a scoring position, even if they're field goals, Edmonton should have had at least four more scoring opportunities 
opportunities last night. And uh, if they have those four more scoring opportunities, and, and, and you know, uh, uh, White kicks them, you know, now this game is getting close to 60 points, but but they still almost gave up 40 points to, to Montreal. You know, they they there was a lot to clean up in this game. The numbers at the end of the game, when you look at the final score, you go, yeah, that was a blowout. But when you watch that game last night, uh, there was opportunities for Montreal to be in that game or to make this thing closer. Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst, joining us on Inside Sports last night. Edmonton winning 44-23 in Montreal. Blake, uh, let, let's have some fun with this one. So uh, you're the coach of the Montreal Alouettes last night. Could have you resisted the temptation to put Johnny Manziel in the game at some point? I mean, we heard they had, they had a package or two for him, but uh, he never got on the field. He will be their starter likely very, very soon. But uh, could have you resisted the temptation to throw him in last night? Well, my my concern, and when I when I heard that earlier the, 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 uh, this week that, that they were gonna, the thought was they were gonna put him into the game. My fear was here's a guy who's coming to a new system. He's only had three days of practice, and you know there's a lot of pressure on him. I mean, it's it's this is a guy who won a Heisman as a freshman. This is a guy who who you know was a first round uh, uh, first pick in the draft or first round pick in the draft in the NFL. I mean, this guy knows about pressure, but. You know, you're throwing him into a situation where he doesn't even know all the terminology. And I thought, if he goes in there and performs miserably, what is that going to do for your fan base? We're all excited. They're already buying jerseys. What's that going to do for his confidence? Uh, what's that going to do for the confidence of the players that are around him thinking that this guy could possibly be the savior of their season? So the, the fact that uh, uh, they, they, they didn't play horribly uh, was good, you know, from from the standpoint of him not getting in, you know, and and uh, you know the fact that they the quarterback didn't get knocked out of the game, those kinds of things. I would have been concerned throwing him in. I think that uh, I think that that was uh, uh, maybe a little maybe the, the, when the, he came to the team, the coach thought that he'd be able to pick things up so much quicker, understanding all that kind of stuff. But I think it was a good move not putting him in. Um, you know, there was at, at the, when the score was what it was, there was no reason to put him in. You're not going to put him into a situation where, where uh, he's going to be able to have a chance to win the game or any of that kind of stuff. And, and all you do now is risk him getting hurt. Because when you start, you know, getting into a blowout, sometimes there's a possibility for guys to just, you know, and, and they're professionals, but that's when guys get hurt when you know one team is is running wild over a team that's really struggling and, and uh you know they're not going at the same speeds and so there was no for me there was no reason to put him in last night well don't want to get too far ahead of things but uh, august 18th isn't too far away and that's when montreal is in edmonton so it wouldn't surprise me if manzel is the alouette starter when uh, these two teams have their rematch in a few weeks blake always great to have you on the show have a great weekend we'll do this again next week man Okay, Reed. Thanks a lot. Love having Blake Dermott on the show. Totally made sense to him that Johnny Football didn't get into the game. Man, that would have been something to see him. But And, and I know uh, Mike Sherman, the coach of the Alouettes, made the point last night saying uh, you don't start a, uh, you don't put on a Broadway play after one day of rehearsal. So he says Johnny needs maybe more than one practice to really get up to speed. He's going to be there for the Owls. Uh, he, there won't be much around him. Uh, you know, clearly the Eskimos D-line, which hadn't had a lot of sacks this season, absolutely getting after Vernon Adams last night, six sacks for the game. But, I mean, the Eskimos offense, for me, the story, Riley 415, I read off some of those receiver stats. Even the Canadian receivers, Bahar and Ajay, look really good when they're, when they're called on to make a catch. 
the secondary was like I know Adams didn't have a lot of passing yards, but the secondary wasn't great. There were the two PI calls. There were some open guys. There was a clearly drop touchdown pass by an Alouette's receiver. That was a little concerning to me because I thought the secondary had made strides in the last couple of games. It wasn't a good night for them. But the Eskimos got the win. I mean, 44 points. They still did a lot of things right. Going to be tougher against the Riders on Thursday. Tonight, it's uh, Toronto. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Toronto at Winnipeg. We'll keep you updated on that one once we get started. You can text 630-630. We're back after the break. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. So I mentioned Toronto and Winnipeg coming up tomorrow. Ottawa is at Hamilton, and then Calgary taking a 5-0 record into Saskatchewan. The Riders are 3-2. It's pretty mind-boggling with the Eskimos' penalties. And, you know, I was talking about with Blake... Penalties happen. I, I, I mean, no, I did say offsides happen, but Blake said if you're a defensive player, just watch the football. If it doesn't move, you don't move. It doesn't matter what the, the quarterbacks do with the snap count. If you don't see the ball snapped, just don't move because they haven't started the play. Uh, you know, there there might be the occasional hold. I, I know Sorensen got a hold last night that, that looked a little soft. I think the Eskimos probably got a, well, did get a break on that Chip Cox penalty late in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the PIs where you see guys not turn around for the ball, a late hit on the quarterback, those are all that preventab- are preventable and seem to be happening more often than you would expect. I also, we didn't talk a little about this last night. Now, place kicking, clear advantage for the Eskimos. Uh, I mean, Bayday had a great, uh, an awful night for, for the Alouettes. Uh, the the special teams I didn't think was great though in kick coverage for the Eskimos. There were some long returns. A couple did get called back because of Montreal penalties. We got John on the line here. John, I got about uh, 47 seconds for you tonight. Go ahead. That's all, that's all I need, Reed. Uh, that was a scary bad game last night. Uh, 220 yards on the return game, 190 on the penalty, 400 yards we gave to Montreal. Terrible pass coverage. Terrible tackling. Terrible coverage on punt returns, man. And then McKnight in the end zone to make a key interception, and he looks like he never played football. So we don't, I don't think we have the right personnel on defense. Well, we know that for sure for the secondary, except for Aaron Grimes. And it's just, uh, they got to do something about the punt coverage, too. That was really, really bad on just. I think we got to get those injured guys back in there, Reed. Well, I think, you know, maybe Colhoun coming back in the secondary, he could come back for Thursday against the Riders. And I, I'm trying to think, I like, I didn't think the has there been bad kick coverage in other games? I don't think it's been too bad in other games. No, it wasn't. But it was even close too to many long like. returns. I mean, there was one time it looked like the Montreal returner was wrapped up by about five guys and he squirmed out of the pile. And there was another long punt return that got, got called back, for sure. Yeah, and they're just going right up the middle on us. Man, we ought to fix that. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks. Do we have time to get... Uh... 
Yes, no, Kellen? Give me a thumbs up. No? Okay. All right, we'll take a quick timeout. Will Bateman, uh, exceptional Edmonton golfer who's playing in the World Country Championship last week. He's sitting by in studio, raring to go. We'll tee off with him when we get back. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. for tuning in tonight 6 34 is the time of day inside sports on oilers and eskimos radio 6 30 ched uh milan lucic from the edmonton oilers was on the spitting chicklets podcast pretty entertaining with uh whitney and b sonette there uh lucic talking about a lot of stories from his career talked about last season with the oilers he said the team had uh too much of expecting good things to happen instead of making them happen he says he's excited to come back to the Oilers and prove people wrong. And he also said uh, for him, more of a mental thing, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And I think a lot of that apparent from watching him throughout the season. The uh, RBC Canadian Open through two rounds. We have Kevin Tway leading at 13 under par. Nick Taylor, 9 under, is the top Canadian. He is tied for 10th. We'll be talking a lot of golf in Edmonton. Next week with the Oil Country Championship and one guy who's going to be competing in it, Edmonton's own Will Bateman, who has joined me in studio. Will, great to see you. Thanks for having me, Reed. Thanks for making time to come in because I know uh, I know you're busy. I know it's a lot of practice. I know you're always working on your game. Uh, let, let people know uh, because most of us have no concept of, A, what it's like to be a good golfer and, B, what it's like to be a pro golfer. What's the... What's the balance between spending time on the range and actually getting out and playing around? What's the what's the divide there? Uh, I think it's changed over the last few years for me. Uh, I think that I, I spend a lot more time in the training aspect rather than playing a bunch of golf. Um, leading up to the event, though, I'll probably get try and get out uh, as many holes as I can. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that my perception of it has changed a, a whole bunch, you know, since I first turned pro in uh, 2012. I used to hit a lot of golf balls and, uh, you know, I, I think that training is a little bit, you know, the training part of it is a little bit more important than actually hitting as many golf balls as you can. Okay. So when you say training, are you including whatever you're doing, you know, weight and flexibility wise? What, what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, I just, I tend to focus on a set, uh, certain exercises per day and that's kind of like my, um, setup, I guess you could say, uh, to then go to the range and then go play uh, on the course. So when you're uh, doing, you know, working out, for lack of a better term, are you, I mean, is, is there a lot of focus on the core, hips, a uh, little bit of everything? Give me a sense of where that power comes from for the swing for you. I would definitely say it's a full body thing. Uh, so I go through, we I call it 18 holes. It's basically 18 things that I go through. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, it takes... If I want to go a little bit on the lesser side of things, I usually do about 45 before I go play a tournament round. And then obviously on days where, you know, I'm not playing for a week, uh, I'll spend, you know, hour and a half, two hours. But, you know, it's 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 pretty simple stuff. It's, it's mostly all body weight um, exercises. And, uh, yeah, it's basically just setting up the whole body to go onto the range and, and then, you know, the patterns are already there. Okay. So if you're going to go to the range... Will you say, all right, um, 
200 shots with my pitching wedge. I didn't like my wedge game last game. Or will you do a little bit of every club? Or is it shot shaping? What's the what's the range approach? Uh, the, yeah, that's a tough one. I think it varies day to day. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I, I try my best to, to work on my long game um, a little bit on the range. And uh, I feel like my strengths are 100 yards and in. So, I, I you know, lately I think that I've paid more attention to the to the longer side. Okay. Will Bateman joining us in studio. He'll play in the Well Country Championship next week. Uh, I, I love, because so much of, of any sport, you know, I, we see the, the final result, the competition. We see the game or the round or the match or, or whatever, but so much is done in, in between. And, and I know, I mean, there was probably a time when golfers wouldn't do a lot of flexibility and weight training, and that's certainly changed, if you want to call this the Tiger era or whatever. I mean, it's it's you don't see a lot of guts on the on the tour or on the course anymore with the pros. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that Tiger brought a whole new approach, you know, to golf, and I think that the top guys back in the day too, they they had a good idea, but um, you know, obviously, top fifty in the world um, nowadays are. I'm pretty sure all of them are in the gym, you know. Yeah, so. pretty, pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure it's a full-time thing for them, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is it, let me ask you this, is it, po- because obviously you're exceptional, and you turn you turned pro, what, at 18? Yeah, 18. Yeah. And you've been a top player since you were, like, what, eight? You were winning jun- junior tournaments and yeah, doing very well? Yeah, I think I won well. my first uh, substantial one when I was 11, I think. Okay, yeah. so you've always been very good. Yeah. Uh, so even at, 10, 11, 12, you were at a level where, you know, most guys like me couldn't even imagine playing. Can you play around a golf with a quote-unquote average guy, a 15, 20, 25 handicapper? Like, can you go out there or do you get frustrated like, oh my God, this guy's going to take an 8? Like, can you just go out there and play with anybody? Well, I mean, I always believe that you can learn something from everyone, you know, regardless of the handicap. And I think that, uh, you know, it's not like basketball it's not like you know baseball or even football like you're not going to bring a guy that's you know 50 years old and you know shoots whatever 80 and you know into playing football and tackling me and stuff like that right (laughs) um so yeah i think golf's a it's a cool sport that way and i think that you know the approach on the pga tour and even you know pga canada is is you know playing with the sponsors and and playing with guys that that are you know 18 to 20, what are 25 handicaps yeah. and still enjoying the whole day, right? I think that that's, um, that's key. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great, ad. And, and, and you're right. I mean, that's the great thing about golf is you can play the back tees. I can play the white tees. So what? You can have an even we're, we're match score, with a yeah. handicap. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. that's another way to look at it, too. Yeah. All right. So uh, the Oil Country Championship is coming up on Thursday. You're going to be in the Pro-Am on, uh, on Tuesday. You, lot, you, got, you got a lot going on there. Uh, we you mentioned you know 11 you won your first tournament of significance now was it like were you one of these young guys like you 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 were born with the golf club in your hand or you know were there other sports you were trying but you were just drawn to golf what was it like for a young will yeah um i uh funny to say i actually played badminton for quite a while um at a young age uh i played up until i was i want to say 14 so kind of the basis was I would ski and play badminton in the winters and I would play golf yeah in the in the summers um and then it got to a certain point where you know I I did enjoy golf a fair bit and and I think that you know as I got older I saw guys I'd go compete with guys down in America and they'd be playing year like all year round and they're practicing all year round and I'm thinking to myself I mean even though I'm only 16 I mean it's like they got seven months on me every year for I mean five ten years that's obviously gonna add up but uh yeah so 
I, I freestyle skied actually for three years on the Alberta team, um, just over at Edmonton Ski Club. Yeah. And uh, sort of, I guess the means to an end for that was I broke my collarbone. And then that following year, I decided to move down to Florida and pretty much take golf, you know, pretty seriously. Awesome. So you yeah. could play all year round. Didn't yeah. have to go to the virtual simulator yeah, exactly. <laughs> on December 20th or <laughs> wherever it was. Uh, so you did the free scout. You, you were doing the, all the flips and yeah, all I, the... that. Yeah, that's how I broke it. Uh, I was doing a, basically a flip called a Lincoln Loop, which is, you know, you take off um, straight, you flip sideways, and you land backwards. And I actually ended up landing sideways on the jump. Um, kind of went head over, uh, he, um, feet overhead, and and hit my shoulder, and I just kind of got to the bottom of the hill, and and the coach is like, check your collarbone. I'm like, it just felt like someone like punched me in my arm, like I felt okay. fine. And he's like, check your collarbone. I'm like, okay. So I check it, and it's broken in half. Oh my god. And uh, you know, it's not like I haven't wanted to ski since. Like I've obviously had, you know, I I've wanted to get like back into skiing a little bit, but it just opportunity hasn't presented itself and um obviously yeah you know when you live in a warm place um you're not really picking up the skis so so what once the collarbone healed that didn't affect your swing at all obviously honestly it's 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 tough to say um i think that i definitely have less mobility than i probably could in that okay. in that shoulder um but you know I, I don't think that, um, no, I don't think overall it, it affected it too too much. All right. Uh, so you're coming up with the World Country Championship here, and it's at the Petroleum Club. And I know we talked briefly earlier this week. And, you know, if you could pick a course to host a tournament you're going to play in, uh, th- that'd be on a very short list, wouldn't it? It, it would be number two, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, number one would obviously Blackhawk. Right. Um, you know, I've always, you know, since uh, my dad's been out there for basically since it opened, um, he was one of the first properties out there. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously playing at Blackhawk is just would be ideal. Um, this next second best is obviously petroleum, four minute drive away. And I uh, grew up there from age, I think I was around seven to 12 or 13. So played a bunch of rounds out there. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like a second home, honestly. What is it about that course that, uh, you know, is special or stands out or one of those, you know, defining characteristics that courses have? I think that just, uh, I think the early memories are cool, um, for one. And, and, yeah, I think it's a really good finish. Um, well-designed golf course. Uh, the, you know, if you if you drive it well out there, you can you can play some pretty good golf. And I know that they've hosted a Canadian amateur there in the past. And I think this is the first time that they've played a professional event there. But, um I mean, just a good, just a good course to have a tournament at, and just have some support out there would be would be great. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You said a well-designed golf course. You've played hundreds of them, many of them in a competitive atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to ask you to name names, but what makes a poorly designed golf course? And I mean, you'll talk to fellow pros after a round. What is it that guys might say to each other about a course where you might be like, why would they, like, what is it? You know what I mean? Um, I would say, you know, I think it's different for different people, but I would say for me, a lot of blind shots are a little bit strange. Um, obviously, I played St. Andrews, um, the old course, about, you know, about 10 years ago when I was uh, 14 or 13, and there's a ton of blind shots out there, and you're like, okay, well, that's like, it's the first golf course ever built, so that's an amazing golf course, right? So I don't know. It's like I feel like that's just you know people that are complaining. Hey, there's a blind shot here. Hey, there's a blind shot there. I would say what makes a great golf course um, great would would probably be just the 
sort of the difference between um, par threes, par fours, par fives, and, and right. really giving it, you know, a, a basically a full um, experience. And, you know, I think there's five five par fours over 400 and five par fours under 400 out there. So it's a good um, difference in holes out there. And I think that the green complexes are cool too. Um, right. There's like a 115 or 120 yard par three on the back. But it could be one of the toughest holes on the course because it's a small green. Right. You know, hit it left or right or long, and and it's a tough up and down. So yeah, I just think it's got you know good characteristics and uh, just should be yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Will Bateman in studio, Edmonton golfer, uh, turned pro when he was 18. He's now 24. He's getting ready for the uh, Oil Country Championship, which will start uh, competitively. We'll start Thursday. There'll be pro-ams leading up to that. Uh, you won a tournament. We'll get to some of that. And uh, as I like to invite people. Whenever we have someone who's really good at a sport in studio, uh, if you got a question for Will Bateman about his golf game, about being a pro, I don't know if he's going to fix your swing if you test it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A question, but you can try. Uh, you can text 630-630. Inside Sports coming right back. For breaking news and expert opinion, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30, Chad. Tuning in, three nothing. Winnipeg leading Toronto. They're six minutes into the game. Friday night football in the CFL. Eskimos winning last night, forty four twenty three in Montreal. Riley four touchdown passes, four hundred and fifteen yards. Uh, you can get more on that game on six thirty Ched. Dot com. Will Bateman, pro golfer in studio. Uh, how many? Well, you might you might have to think about this one. How many countries have you played a tournament in? A pro tournament. Oh, that's that's a tough. It'd one. be uh, double digits, probably, wouldn't it? Because you played played in South America. Pretty much all of my travel has been for golf, right? Um, so I mean, I think I've been to seventeen countries, um, but I would say for golf, I would, I mean, fifteen of them probably. Yeah. yeah. And where did you win the tournament again? Uh, I was in Santiago, Chile, and that was what three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the twenty end of twenty fifteen. Okay. Yeah. That must have felt great. Yeah, that was. I mean, <laughs> understatement I'll never of the year. Forget for yeah. sure. Uh, so the McKenzie Tour. So give give people a sense of if you're on the McKenzie Tour, um, what do you need to do to be on the PGA? Like, is there a hierarchy that would relate to baseball or hockey? Definitely. So uh, it starts with the Canadian Tour and uh, well, I would say PGA Canada and sure. McKenzie Tour and and the Latin American Tour. Those are both on the same basically scale. So if you top five on both of those tours, that gives you Web.com status. Um, it might not give you full status, so I think that the second to fifth guys on both of those tours, they get conditional. Uh, the, the person who wins the tour for that season, they'll get full status on the web. Um, I know that in the past there's been guys who have finished fifth, which um, gives them conditional, but they may not get it. They only may only get into two or three events for wow, the following season. Wow, so competitive, eh? Very competitive, yeah. Um, 
And then from the web.com, the uh, top 25 guys at the end of that season will go, uh, will have PGA Tour status, and they'll be basically ranked upon where they finished in the 25. Um, and then basically the 25 guys from 75 at the end of the year, they go into a, the PGA Tour playoffs, which is, I believe, 125 on the PGA Tour to either 200 or 175. They go into a tournament with the lower guys on the web, so 25 to 75 Man. to get on. So like the being PGA. the 150 best golfer in the world doesn't guarantee you anything. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. No, that's you got incredible. Yeah, if you you crack the top fifty, then you get into because like the hundred fiftieth best player in hockey's making five million dollars a year. Oh yeah, no, that's not the case. <laughs> not, not at the case all. in golf. No, no, for sure not. Man, uh, this texture says, "Will you were at the hawk practicing chip shots yesterday, jumping from leg to leg, leg to leg mid swing? You got to explain." So tough to explain, but it's basically creating the correct shear pattern um, that, you know, it's, uh, you know, basically jumping from leg to leg. I'm working on stability for one and then for two, just creating the right shear pattern. So when I do jump to that basically um, lead leg or you could say uh, target leg, uh, the club basically just comes down on a pendulum. It's, it's pretty much as, you know, creating the pattern um, by stressing the body. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it looked like this person was probably like, when would he ever do that in a round? But you're working on yeah. some muscle memory and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, stressing the body in ways that, uh, that you know, obviously you get into a tournament and, and it's easy, you know. And that's right. obviously, you know, doing training like that obviously makes it, makes it tougher. And when you go to hit a flop shot, you're like... I, to be honest, when I warmed up yesterday, I was just hitting shots and it was a little bit difficult. And, you know, when it's hard, it's, you probably don't got it, you know. So, okay. obviously, as it, you know, progressed, it got easier. Yeah. Uh, how far do you drive it? Oh, the 400, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh, between, it, it really depends on uh, the firmness of the fairways. But uh, I would say, you know, I, I spend a little bit of time on track, man. And, you know, it's, it's close to, I'd say, 290 to 310 or, or so. Not bad. Yeah. That's two shots for most of us. <laughs> two for my dad, for sure. <laughs> oh, geez. I, I hope he's listening. <laughs> yeah, he's got the senior uh, club champs uh, tomorrow, so hopefully he can get her done there. Oh, at Black Blackhawk? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if he wins, we're going to have to get him on on Monday. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the Oil Country Championship is coming up. This is so what, what does it mean to you to play in Edmonton in a pro event? I mean, I know you've done it before, but... Yeah, I have done it a few times in the past, but uh, it's just you know, like I like I say to many people, it's just it's just a different feeling. Um, you know, the hometown support, and I think what what I remember um, the most is uh, my brother caddying for me, and the it was actually my second tournament as a pro, and just the support I had on the weekend on on Saturday Sunday was just uh, it was just quite cool. Uh, my dad got a picture of of me just basically in the fairway with everybody walking behind and and i just you know i i relate moments like that to you know it's just just it's a great place to be in a great spot to be yeah that's incredible uh who's caddying for you this week Do you uh, know? so yeah i actually have a friend uh that works at blackhawk named tristan uh, okay. tristan jones um yeah so he's gonna be caddying for me monday and the um basically in the pro-am and then yeah thursday to sunday and see how that goes and then uh possibly bring him up to calgary the the week after i should have got into the caddy stuff sooner we're into the final minute but i'll throw this one 
Can a good caddy shave a couple scores off around, or what's what's the biggest impact a caddy can have? Absolutely, I think the player caddy relationship is super important, and you know it would be obviously really nice to have a full time guy on on the lower class tour, but um, I think that it's just it's it's a lot of money. Like I mean, think about feeding another you know feeding another person and traveling for you know twelve weeks a year when you know the winner on that money list is only making maybe 75 to 100 grand it's it gets pretty expensive but yeah when you get to the web and the pga a full-time guy can definitely definitely help you out make or break you for sure will everybody's going to be pulling for you next week at the oil country championship thanks for taking time to come in i hope the next few days of uh practicing and the pro-ams uh all go great we're all pulling for you on twitter it's uh wilson bateman is that yep. you i'm following the right person yep, okay good <laughs> Ed, do you have a website or where people can read more? No, no website. Just, just... Google Wilson, Will Bateman. One L for yeah. Will. And uh, we're going to go to the news here. Alex Tagliani's going to come in. We're gonna quickly going to work on my bunker game, okay? Deal. Coming right back. Thanks, Reed. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.